Hey, 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 everybody. It's Lee Jackson, America's finest watchman, back with you again. We're going to continue our talk about collecting watches and watches. I love watches. Yay. I eat, drink, and sleep watches, baby. And so should you. So let's continue our talk, shall we? Yay. Okay, so we're going back to watches, and we started talking about the different kinds of watches last time. And now we're going to talk about different kinds of brands because it's always fun to talk about. The first one I want to talk about is Audemars Piguet. Oh, there goes my music again. Yay. Okay, we want to talk about Audemars Piguet, one of the finer watches around. Um, started in the 1800s by a gentleman by Jules Audemars and Edward Piguet. And they're in Les Brasses, which is part of Switzerland, but it is not uh, Geneva outside of Geneva and they are still family owned today they're still one of these companies like Paddock that's all by themselves and they don't need to be bought out by a big conglomerate they're doing fine without it um, they're, when they first started back in the 1800s their watches were known for complications which is extra uh, dials and extra information on the dial that will tell you different things like uh, chronograph, the moon phase the day, the date and so on Today, they're one of the finest dress watches in the world, but they're more famous for a watch they invented in the 1970s called the Royal Oak. And the Royal Oak is named after a British battleship, very famous. And the designer of that watch is a man called Gerald Genta, or Genta. And he is one of the most famous designer of wristwatches there is. He's designed the Omega Constellation, He's done this watch, the, um, the Royal Oak. He's done a whole bunch of really incredible watches. He's an interesting character. Designed watches for everybody. Then went on his own and started his own company called Gerald Genta and has come up with some really wild looking stuff. I mean, he has Mickey and Minnie Mouse watches for men and women that are in the ten dollars to $20,000 range. And yet when you look at them, they look like a, just a Mickey Mouse watch with a beautiful enamel dial. You look close, they're really, really nice. Uh, but the watch that they came up with, Audemars, that made them so, so famous is called the Royal Oak. And it's the first big dress watch slash luxury sport watch, big and heavy, really good quality. And again, designed by Gerald Genta. And it was a very nice watch, came out in the 70s. It was named after a British battleship called the Royal Oak and did okay. Wasn't that big of a seller. I mean, I used to deal in them and they were nice. They had all different designs, not just the ones you see today. I mean, I used to wear one that was kind of a tank design, kind of smaller, but it was solid gold. It had the bracelet. It was really nice. It was quartz too. So what made them so big was a gentleman by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger who came out in the 80s, 90s and decided he wanted everything big. So he was driving around a Hummer, which is a big truck that they use in the army and the military. And he wanted a big watch and he went to, um, he went to Audemars and said, I want to design and make a big, big watch that I want to wear. I want to take a Royal Oak and turn it into something else. And one of the famous versions of it today by him is the offshore. And the Royal Oak became humongously popular with guys like Arnold, guys with disposable income, really liked it because it was a big masculine watch. Very, very, very good quality too. Excellent. So they have all different designs. They go for a lot of money. In my day, they were not very expensive. 
They had them in stainless, two-tone, and gold. They had them in quartz. They had them in automatic. They all looked similar, um, but they got much bigger. So today, the ones you see that are going for huge money are the offshoots of the Arnold watches. So they're the big, monstrous-looking watches. But Audemars made some really interesting, beautiful designs all through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You get into the 60s and in the early 70s, their watches look pretty vanilla. But when you start getting a little later, they came up with some very, very beautiful watches and interesting designs for men and women. Um, I used to get a lot of the women's watches. Some of their watches were absolutely stunning. And they had the ladies' watches had a real um, precious stone for a crystal, like they used the topaz, they used the amethyst, citrine, beautiful watches, teardrop shape, like nothing I'd ever seen. And I used to get closeouts on those and sell them, and they were stunning. I wish I had some of them today. They were so beautiful for a woman. They had a, a leather, like a puffy band on it. It was, I don't know how to describe it. It was like a piece of almost like a drapery, but made out of leather. It was beautiful. And they had diamonds around it. They were just stunning. You see them pop up every once in a while, but they were just gorgeous. So Audemars is a very, very good company. And you can get actually pretty reasonable prices on some of their pre-owned stuff. Compared to the new stuff today is extremely pricey. Um, but they're right there. They're the top three of watches. They're right there. So you want to talk about the finest watches on, on the planet Earth, they're right at the top. So that's my little chit-chat on Audemars. Um, next, I want to talk about another company I'm really fond of, and I'm going alphabetical, by the way, is Baume Mercier. Uh, they were founded in 1830. They have not been in continuous production since 1830. They've had fits and starts like a lot of these companies. And that does stand for something because every time you have fits and starts, that means you're being bought out, taken over, gone out of business, come back, changed everything up. You never know. The only company that has been in total production nonstop since 1755 is Vacheron and Constantine. Everybody else says they're older. They have not been in constant, uninterrupted production since their beginning date. They've had, again, hiccups, fits, starts, you name it, which doesn't make them bad. It just doesn't make them as exciting as Vacheron and Paddock came later and they have not stopped either, but they didn't come as early as Vacheron. Vacheron made pocket watches to Napoleon and Josephine. That's how far back they go. So they really go back a long way. Um, okay. So let's go to Bommercier. They were taken over in the sixties by Piaget and then Cartier got them in the nineties, I think. And now they're owned by the Richmond group, which owns a lot of different titles and anytime the Richmond Group owns something, it's very hard to get parts, including Baumercier. But I like Baumercier because the way they're positioned in the market is they're not at the very top. They're kind of in the middle. They're reasonably priced, but they're very good quality. And to me, they were always a very good watch, very fine watch, way above the norm, above Omega, above all that stuff. And you can get a great deal on them. They're much cheaper than a lot of brands, and their quality is excellent. Uh, their newest stuff is kind of vanilla, but classic, nice. I mean, I wear a Bommercier. I have one called um, Cape Town. Really a nice watch. It's an antique-looking dial, but it's not old. Quartz. But I like that Frank Mueller look with the old numbers. It's kind of cool. <clears throat> so you can get a nice Bommercier new for, I don't know, under $3,000, $2,000. So that means on the pre-owned market, you can get a whale of a deal. You could pick up a Bomber CA for two, three hundred bucks, which is really nice. Four hundred bucks for a really nice one. 
And they had a line called Formula S in the 90s that I really liked too. They were kind of a sporty, weird, fun looking, kind of futuristic watch by Bombersier. Really nice quality. And I like those. You don't see them very often. And when you do, <coughs> excuse me, they're not in great shape because people wore the hell out of them. They were fun watches that they liked. So keep your eyes open for those. Those are kind of fun. They come in quartz. Uh, Bombersier makes quartz and automatics. And their automatics and manual wines are made by Etta. So they're good quality like everybody else. But when you look at the quality of the dial and the case and the way it's made, it's definitely nice quality. They're not cheap. So keep your eyes open for those. I always have a lot of fun with Bombersiers. I just, I think they're just a fun watch to wear. And if you had to wear an everyday watch and you don't want to spend a fortune, that's a great way to get into good watches. And once you wear a good watch on your wrist, you will never forget what you have on your wrist. For some reason, it just sticks with you. I don't know what it is. At least for me, it does. I know exactly what I'm wearing every day and it makes me feel good. Okay, we like to feel good though, don't we? Always fun. Okay. Next up is Blanc Pan. It's spelled Blanc Pain, but it's pronounced Blanc Pan. Uh, they're really old. They're one of the oldest watchmaking companies in the world, 1735. Uh, they, again, have not been in continuous production since 1735. They've had fits and starts and hiccups and everything else. But they're very good quality. Um, they're lesser known. They're right under the big boys. So they're right there. I'd give them in the top 10 or 20. I'd put Blanc Pan in there. Uh, everything's handmade at their own facilities in Switzerland. And they used, like a lot of people use, these Frederick Piquet movements in the 90s and 80s and 2000s. And then they bought Frederick Piquet. So I've talked about Frederick Piquet movements being very, very fine. And they would put them in Vacherons and paddocks and Jaeger cultures and Audemars and so on. They can't do it anymore because uh, Blanc Pond grabbed them. So they don't give uh, movements to anybody else anymore. So that's why a lot of these companies are making their own movements. And then I was reading there's another company making movements called Salida, which is a new one that I had not heard much about. And they're a copy of Etta, and they're supposed to be just as good. So a lot of companies are using these Salida movements, but that's in watches that are not as expensive as the big boys. I'd say you'd find those watches in mm, five, six, $7,000 watches on down. Anything above that should have its own movement made by the company that sells you the watch. That would kind of be nice, wouldn't it, when you're paying that kind of money? And yet, I like Etta movements. I don't have any problems with them. They run really well. They're, they can start off inexpensive, and then they can get very expensive. They can get handmade with all kinds of uh, machining done to them, and damascening, and designs, and you name it, they can do it. So that's kind of an interesting interesting uh twist all right so let's move on next one is breguet and breguet is another one of those i would rank breguet right there with blanc pan very high-end watch and let me go back to blanc pan for a minute people that know really fine watches especially ladies blanc pan is right up there they make some gorgeous gorgeous women's watches and over history over time uh blanc pan has been called rayville so they go under another name also, and they're just as good. And Blanc Pond used to be able to get their older stuff very, very inexpensive. Not anymore. They've gone way up. And people are collecting. It's hard to find their stuff cheap. So Breguet is one of the finest makers of all time. Um, the gentleman started Breguet. It was 1775 by Abraham Louis Breguet. He was one of the most brilliant watchmakers of all time. 
they're also on Labrassus. And then Mr. Breguet, the, don't forget this is pocket watches in those days. He came up with some very, very interesting inventions like the Breguet hairspring, the, Torbilli, the Torbillon or Torbillion. He did all kinds of stuff and he was way ahead of his time. But again, it's one of those companies that has not stood the test of time, that it stayed making watches with the same people, the same company, everything since 1775. They've gone in and out of business, spits and starts, hiccups, you name it, but they're still, they're very expensive, very fine quality watches. They, they don't make a lot of watches, neither does Blanc Pond. You don't see tons and tons of their stuff around. But Breguet watches all have a distinctive look. They all have the very old French looking dials with the crosshatch pattern on the dial. And they have the number directly on the dial of the watch, you know, number 25, number 10, right on the dial. And their sides are, are machined and really look, I mean, their stuff's really ornate looking, beautiful quality. You cannot find inexpensive brigades. I've tried and tried and tried. Their stuff starts around three, $4,000 for anything. Same thing, Blanc Pond. There's nothing out there that's any good that's under three, $4,000 pre-owned. I'm not talking about new. New, they're in the 20 and up range. Um, Breguets are fine quality. They make their own movements. Uh, they are a very exclusive maker of watches. For some reason, men like Breguet more than women. Women like Blanc Pond more than men. And the reason is the men's Blanc Ponds are very plain looking. They're only round. Blanc Pond does not make anything but round. And Breguets all look similar too. And the look of the Breguet, that very ornate 17, 1800s French look of the watch, I guess doesn't appeal as much to women as it does to men. Um, there's some gorgeous modern Blancpain ladies' watches. I mean gorgeous, with flowers on the dials. They look like cloisonne enamel. Beautiful. I mean gorgeous. Breguet is more ornate looking and antique looking. Really beautiful stuff. Um, people in the know really want Breguet's and Blancpain, but people you show it to anybody. They'd go, what is it? They've never even heard of it. I was watching a show the other day. They didn't know what a, a Perrier, a, a Patek Philippe was. They had no idea, which blew my mind. You know, they're like, we didn't know if this was a Phillips or what it was. I'm like, oh my gosh, they didn't even know what it is. So you can't collect this for people to want people to look at your watch and go, wow, that's really beautiful. What is it? Most people don't. The things they do ask about are crap, big, ugly looking things and wild looking watches, really fine watches. They don't stand out. They don't have to. They're not supposed to. They're supposed to be a piece of jewelry and yet a fine timekeeper. All right. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. Um, I will be right back. So here we go. Let's take our break. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Hello. Goodbye. I'm back. Whatever. Okay, this is Lee Jackson back with you again. Uh, America's finest watchman. Uh, I have sold more watches than anybody. I've sold tons and tons of watches. I started on TV. I was the big kahuna for many, many, many years. 
um, sold tons of watches. Of course, the most I sold was Rolex. And the reason is people want Rolex and there's a lot of them around because they sold lots of Rolexes. There's lots of Rolexes still around, especially in the pre-owned market. To my mind, you could buy new, but what are you actually getting? Okay, you're getting a box, you're getting a fine timepiece, and that's about it. If I could find that same timepiece with or without the box and the papers in very, very good condition, like new condition, and you could pay half to a quarter of what retail is, why would you not do it? Nobody knows the difference. I mean, no, it's not like a car where they change the design every few years and you go, oh, well, that's a, you know, that's a 2010. Oh, it's 12 years old, 11 years old. Oh, my God. With watches, it doesn't matter. They don't change their designs very often. When they make a watch, they just keep making it. When they stop, uh, they stop or they'll change designs, which is fun. So you got to think about what do you want to do? You can make your money go a lot further if you buy pre-owned, but then you, where do you get them? You know, there's crap out there. There's a lot of bad um, people selling stuff. I used to get people calling me all the time. Oh my God, I bought from this and that, and it was bad. And it was it. That's the problem. You know, I read about these places like uh, there's one in Europe. that's really big and they advertise all over the place. And I've tried to deal with them a couple of times. I have not had good luck. I've had nothing but problems with them. And then I go online and read that people bought stuff that was fake and they didn't even do anything about it. And we're talking about 10, 20, $30,000 worth of watch. So you got to be very careful where you buy. That's the real problem. And if you go into a retail store, you're going to pay through the nose. I mean, I can direct you to some places you can go look at fine watches. One would be Tourneau and they're all over the place. T-O-U-R-N-T-O-R-N-E-A-U. And they have pre-owned and they have new and their prices are out of this world. Believe me. But their quality is excellent. So if you want to buy something and you got the money and you don't want to piddle around, you don't want to worry, what am I getting? Is it going to need work? Is it? That's the place. Buy it there. Pay the money. That's okay with me. I like the idea of picking them up for a swan song and fixing them up or getting a good deal on something and making it nice. As far as... Um, buffing it and cleaning it up. I do all that myself. I used to do that to every single watch I went out of my place. Why? Because I want to treat you the way I want to be treated. I don't want to have to buy something and say, what the hell did I buy here? Because I've been there. I bought junk from people by that were falsely advertised, were not taken care of and all that. And it really is heartbreaking when you have your heart set on something and it comes in, it's not what you wanted. It's not right. That hurts. We don't need that. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, next watch is Breitling. Breitling is one of the big, big names in mass market watches, upper end, of course. Uh, they came out, they were made in 1892 by Mr. Breitling, and they specialized in chronographs, mostly for air, um, air travel, pilots, and so on. That's what Breitling was. It was an instrument. That's how they came out. If you look in cockpits of old planes, sometimes you can see Breitling on some of the instrument panel. They've been associated with flying for many, 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 many years. And all of a sudden, when things started going more towards sport and military, Breitling got really big because they're not an, an inexpensive watch. They're a medium brand expensive watch. Um, they make things like the Chronomat, the Navitimer, the Cosmonaut, the Duograph. They even have a UTC that's really cool. Breitling on some of their 
uh, models have what's called a UTC or a universal time that is a second little watch on the band. It's a little dial, it's quartz. So you can have two time zones. You have a regular watch and you have a little teeny one on your on part of your band, which is kind of cool. That's called a UTC. And most of their watches, they did not make the movements. All the chronographs were sourced elsewhere from uh, Valjou, Lamania, and all these different Venus, all these different companies that were good. But Breitling didn't make their own. Today, I'm sure they make some of their own stuff. But they're very, very highly sought after. I'm trying to think of where they would be. <coughs> they were above Omega, definitely. Much better than Omega. Um, I would put them almost on a Cartier level, but a sporty Cartier level. So they were very, very sought after, and their older stuff goes for a lot of money. So Breitling is a fun watch, but it's not really a dress watch. Now, they did try in the 60s to put their name on dress watches, inexpensive dress watches. So you can find some Breitlings that are not big, fat chronographs. But they're famous um, for their military-style watches. And one of the ones I like is their SOS watch, which is, a, I think it's a chronomat. And it has a little button on it that you push and it sends out a signal. This is a modern watch, by the way, and tells them you're in trouble. And they'll come after you. <laughs> and there's a fine if you push that button and you really don't need them to come and get you. So if you ever see those, don't push the button. <laughs> I've had them before. I don't go near that button because it's a big fine <laughs> for doing that. Because they're serious watches. They're instruments for professionals. Um, very, very good quality. Now let's go to Cartier. Cartier, one of my favorites of all time. Cartier is a very interesting company. They are a jewelry company, a very fine jewelry company, and a very fine watch company. And those two usually don't mix. You don't find really fine watch companies that are jewelry companies like Tiffany. They don't make most of their stuff. They would rename other other people's stuff, or they would go have their stuff contracted out. Um, but they never made their own, and they were never really known for their own watches being great quality, like Tiffany watches. The name is good, but the watch itself, it's okay. They're good. Not great. But Cartier, whole different ballgame. They made their own movements. They had their own watch company called EWC, European Watch Company. And we're talking about the more expensive Cartiers. Their movements are highly sought after in the watches from the 20s and 30s and 40s. And <coughs> they go for big money because they're EWC and you can see that movement inside. When you get to the later stuff, they use mass market movements like Etta and so on, you know, the less expensive Cartier stuff. But Cartier was known as a very fine watch company and jewelry company and design company, which is a triple threat. So their stuff is really beautiful. Um, they came out with the Santos, the Bag Noir, the Tank, the Pasha, the Vendome. This is all before the 30s they came up with this stuff. Um, they still are around. Most of these brands, most of these models are still being made by Cartier. The Santos is kind of a squared watch with rivets. And now they make a large size because, of course, Arnold got everybody wearing bigger watches. Um, the tank is as famous as it gets. In the 70s into the 80s, the Cartier tank was extremely popular. And the ones that they sold were Emmanuel Wind. They either had an Edda or A-Shield movement in them. I'm not sure which anymore. And they were not gold. They were vermeil, which is gold over silver. So the case was real silver, but it was plated in gold. So I had one of those, and it, my skin just ate it up. There's something my skin does not like, plated gold. So it just ate it up. 
Um, they had a jewel on the winder, on the crown, little pointed sapphire. And they were very, they almost looked like a, kind of like a brigade almost, because they're kind of fancy looking. And they tried to stay with the original design. So they still make the Santos. The Bag Noir is still big. The tank is still big. The Pasha, which is their chronograph, became huge in the 80s and 90s. And some of the newer ones they've come out with, one of the ones I like is called the Roadster. It came out around 2000. That became huge. It's a, um, it's not a tank design. It's a little bit different. It's a beautiful watch and it comes with a fantastic bracelet. They're automatics. They're very good quality. They're not cheap. Um, they're not even a copy of any of their old designs, but they look antique. It's a Tonneau case, but they're fat little Tonneau cases and they're really nice watch. But for some reason, Cartier is all by itself. I don't know how to describe it. People that collect watches, Cartier is not really in their collections. They collect Cartier. If people like Cartier, that's all they wear. Like I had a Cartier years ago. I had a little Santos that was made of platinum. There were only, I think, a hundred of them made. Manual wine, beautiful special edition. I think it was back 20, 30 years ago. It was around 14,000 new. So it was a very expensive watch. It was not cheap. Um, their stuff is excellent. So if you find Cartier's, first they got to look at is, is it real gold or whatever, or is it Vermeil? They say Vermeil on the back, that means gold over silver. That's not one of their better watches. And they were small. They were not huge. Now they're much bigger than they used to be. Uh, they make just about everything. They're hard to find on the pre-owned market for any reasonable price. They hold their value really well. Paddocks hold their value really well. Cartier holds their value really well. They You cannot find inexpensive deals on Cartier, even pre-owned. They hold their value really, really well. But it's more of a look. It's more of a design. Nobody looks like a Cartier, and yet their quality is really impeccable. Really good quality, too. So that's kind of on the left, but good watch. Now let's get to Corum, which I love. Corum is a specialty watch. They came out in 1955. They come out with really interesting designs, cases and dials. I mean, they had watches where they put a peacock feather in the dial, on the dial, and it's gorgeous. They did some really interesting things. Um, they have one called a Golden Bridge, where it's a watch where all the wheels are lined up in, a, in like a little long pattern, and you can see them. They're, it's not round, they're stacked, really cool. Um, they did a lot of ingot watches. Gold coin watches, always different and very, very good quality. And their newest thing that they have now, which I really like, is called the bubble watch. And those have been around about 20 years now. And they're starting to come down because they're very expensive. And it's a watch with a gigantic crystal that's shaped like a dome, but solid, like really big and oversized crystal. And the designs are kind of bubbly looking too. Kind of mushy. I don't know how to describe it. They're not sharp. They're kind of rounded and fat the numbers, the hands. It's a very cool look. And they came out with limited editions, things like Batman and the Joker and pirates and skeletons and all kinds of uh, really interesting cartoony looking stuff that's on the dial. And they go for a lot of money. And some of them are quartz, some of them are mechanical. It's not about the movement, it's about the look. And they go for a lot of money. You can't find a pre-owned bubble watch for under about 1500 bucks. And they're stainless steel, they're not even solid gold. But they're a great look. They're fun watch. And they're very good quality. The movements inside are excellent. They're not junk. Okay, so we're going to stop. I thank you for watching and listening. Uh, this is Lee Jackson. 
America's Finest Watchman. Thank you for everything. Appreciate your support. Uh, please tell your friends because we need all the support we can get. We do. We want more people listening, enjoying watches and collecting. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs>